All right. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, I heard the mention of the four corners of the earth and how important. Here we are in the middle of a series on the Great Commission and our responsibility to make sure the world knows that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is reality. And, you know, I was thinking, um, I spent, I've been there for about eight times. Uh, we're going to Uganda, coming up pretty quick. We've been to Haiti, and we've been to Nicaragua, we've been to Jordan, um, been to Bulgaria. And I don't know of another religion that declares their message as good news. And yet the word gospel means good news. Under threat and under, you know, you must keep the rules, that's not necessarily good news. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, the gospel is good news. And that's why I, I thought, hope you caught what I said this morning when I said, you know, we don't thrust our religion on anyone, but we hurl Jesus Christ at people because he's good news. He's good news. That is the difference. And here we are in the middle of our Great Commission series, and Brother Brent had Abby come and, and share with the youth tonight, and we snatched her up. She wasn't going skiing. Don't blame you a bit, by the way. Where's Abby at? There you are. Don't blame for not skiing. Um, but, but she's been on the mission field. I first learned your name after accident, and glad to see you doing so well. And so we have Abby coming, and the more we can hear from missionaries, the more will help us understand our, our commissioning, our great call to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Abby, come on up here and bless our hearts, please. Give her a round of applause. Hello, Norrisville. I'm Abby, and I am from North City. And uh, I attend a non-denominational church there called Crossroads Bible Church. And uh, I'm excited to be here with you tonight, so thanks for letting me come. Um, I did have an accident. I'm going to go in more into detail about that in a, in a moment. But um, I know that um, you guys prayed for me. And so I just thank you to everyone in your church uh, for praying for my recovery. The Lord listened to your prayers. And, and again, I'm going to tell you some more specifics about that in a, in a moment. But I'm here. I'm alive. I'm well. And so thank you for praying. And, um, and also, you know, I just, I've, I've heard a lot of things about your church. And, uh, and what I usually hear is that you're mission-minded. So I applaud you for, for that, for being mission-minded, because Jesus was mission-minded. And as his followers, you know, we, we are like him, so we want to be the same as him. And so therefore, we are mission-minded. So thank you for caring about the nations and for caring about the gospel message that it's heard. Um, and one more thank you. Um, a few, I don't know, months, weeks, I'm not very good, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, you guys held a, a chili supper um, for the orphans that I stayed with in India. And we gave a good chunk of money. We raised a good chunk of money for that. And um, that went towards their new van, uh, which is $20,000, which to me, it, we started raising 10000 and then they just kept, the price kept going up. Um, and, and so it just seemed like that was never going to happen. We're never going to get the money, but we did. We, we got the 20000 shortly after your chili supper. And, um, and the kids, they haven't got it yet, but they've, they've ordered it, and they're waiting for their van to come. So the, the orphans over there that I'm getting ready to talk to you about um, are going to have a safe transportation. So again, thank you to your church for caring about what God's on, what's on God's heart. Um, if, if it works tech-wise, I have some pictures. Anytime you guys want to bring that up, if you're capable, um, just to show some pictures of, of my time. Um, starting on July 5th is when I flew out. I went to India. Um, it's the southeastern part of India, a little tiny fishing village right close to the Indian Ocean called Konapapapeta. And uh, I had been there twice before. Um, my church um, supports a pastor over there who helps run the orphanage. And uh, so I'd been on just on week-long trips, and I went actually last January of 2012 and, and just stayed a week. And during that week, 
I saw that the kids just had a lot of needs. There's, a, there's about 100 kids in the orphanage. Um, you know, no, no mom and dad take care of them. And they did just have a couple of caretakers. And, uh, but which, so they, you know, the relationship isn't like a hug-kiss type of relationship between the caretakers and the orphan. And so I just, I just saw these needs, you know, one being they need hugs and kisses as children being raised. And they, they had lots and lots of head lice. And I knew I needed longer than a week to get rid of the head lice. And that that was something that, that God wanted me to do was to help be like the kids. And so I decided to, to go again um, for a longer period of time than a week so that I could do the things that I felt like God wanted me to do for those children. And so July 5th, I got on an airplane, went over there um, for six weeks. And I'm just going to share a couple little highlights of that time in India with you. Um, if you want to go to the next slide, um, this uh, scripture is James 1:27, and it says, "Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world." Uh, that's what God cares about. He cares about the needy, the hurting people who are who are outcast. That's what's on God's heart. And you don't you don't have to go to India to find orphans and widows and needy people. There's needy people right here in Harrisburg and um, that, that we are called to help as, as God's children. So I pray that you are encouraged to do that, even the people that are in your life tonight, that you are encouraged to help them. Um, if you'll go to the next one. Um, I spent a lot of my time, hours a day, uh, delicing. I'm what you might call a professional delicer at this point in my life. <laughs> um, I took over. Anybody in here have head lice tonight? Just come find me and I'll, I'll help you take care of that. <laughs> um, I took over lots of life supplies, um, the nice little knit comb, and then I bought the shampoo there because they, they had fine shampoo that you could buy over there. And uh, so, again, hours a day was spent delicing. And the sweet little girls uh, were my helpers. I couldn't have, I, there's no way I could have done it on my own because just time-wise, time wouldn't have permitted and so there were as a group probably six or seven older girls who helped me every day with the delicing. And in India, the, the culture is you don't, after probably about age 12, you don't cut your hair ever. Your hair is your glory. And so they all have hair, you know, down to their bottoms. And so, which is great and all, except if you have head lice. <laughs> and then it's a lot of work for, for whoever's trying to get the head lice out. So it just took a lot of time combing through there. But the kids... They loved it because in their minds, this place they live in um, is just very, very impoverished area. I mean, people are, are dirt poor. And um, so in, in these kids' minds, they, they didn't even know it was an option to live without head lice. They had always had head lice, and they figured that they would always live with head lice. And so when I, when I first arrived um, and you know, started building relationships with them and loving them and teaching them how to play Red Rover and you know, they, they thought I was a princess because I was so much fun and I was white so they really liked me and I really liked them um, and so, so after you know, I don't know when I started delicing I think about day three that I was in the country um, they were just kind of amazed like wow, you know, she's pulling those lights out we don't have to have these and, and, you know, and then I taught them how and I won't, won't go into all the details of how we managed to get all the lights out, but it's, it was a process. And so I taught them how to do it themselves, and they, they just they were excited. And they would argue and fight with each other over who got to be next to be the lights. They'd be like, me, me, sister, me. And we, you know, we had a major language barrier because they speak Telugu, and I don't. And so I, I learned like 10 Telugu words, the hard language, and they learned like 10 English words. So we knew like me, sister, Jesus, a few more, and that's it. So, but they would get in line and say, me, me, because they wanted to be Delice next. And I would say, oh, you know, you, everyone will be Delice. It's okay. Um, and, 
And just because they were so thrilled at the thought of having scalps that weren't going to be itchy with bugs. Um, and very exciting for them. And so we worked all the whole six weeks I was there. And they, they were mostly de-liced by the time I left. But there were still some um, nits, eggs in their hair. Because they, they all needed to be de-liced twice to get all the nits out. And I didn't have time to do them all twice. Some I did, but not all. And so I left all my supplies there and there, told one of the caretakers who was trained you know, to keep doing what I'd been doing. And so probably after I'd been home a month or two, the pastor over there in charge, his name's Pastor Joseph, he was my host, very wonderful man, he, called, he um, emailed me and said, we are life free. And so now the kids don't have any head lice. And now that they, you know, they have the know-how to get rid of it if they do get it. So it was just a, a very um, sweet experience because, you know, it's great that I don't want them to have a head life, but most importantly, God doesn't want them to have head life. God wants good, healthy lives for them. And uh, I believe that that doesn't include a life living on their head. So praise God for caring about the details. Um, if you'll go to the next slide. Um, this little princess is named uh, Megana. And she had just got to the orphanage with her little brother um, about two months before I arrived. So they were the newest kids to be in the orphanage. And uh, she needed a sponsor. And so my parents, who already had uh, one sponsor child, decided they wanted to sponsor her, her too. And actually now at this point, they, they got another one too. So they have three um, sponsor kids. There's a ministry through my church called Only Believe Ministries that is um, was, in, was responsible for building that orphanage. And they set up a sponsorship program that kind of runs like... Uh, Compassion International, and so they send, you know, um, the sponsor's money every month to the kids to pay for their food and whatnot. Anyway, this little girl is special to me because she's like my little Indian sister. Because uh, you know her picture's hanging on our fridge, the whole 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 deal. Because um, my parents sponsor her. Uh, you go to the next one. Um, the ground is a very important part of Indian life. This is um, some little girls doing their homework before school. Um, education was very much emphasized in the orphanage, which is, you know, is great. They spent hours a day doing schoolwork. And uh, they, they always sit on the ground, in, you know, Indian style, you know, no pun intended. And uh, in, the, in the churches, you know, there aren't pews, there aren't chairs, there's concrete. And so in all the church services we went to, they, they sit on the ground. And, and so the orphans do their homework on the ground. They sleep on the ground. There aren't, there aren't any beds in the orphanage. There was one bed, and that's because they, they treat me. They treated me like I was um, some kind of royalty, like, oh, she's American, she has money, she's powerful, is, is their viewpoint of me. So they gave me a bed, which was always surrounded by, um, by little girls because they wanted to sleep near me. And so we, we were all piling in my bedroom and you know, say our prayers and kiss them and hug them goodnight. But anyway, the, the point being that the, the kids sleep on the floor every night, and that's just normal for them. They, they don't think that it's bad or poor. They just, they just think that that's normal. Um, and you know, it's not like a carpeted floor either. It's, it's concrete floor. So they're just some very tough uh, little babies. And um, they, I, I realized probably, I was probably over halfway through my stay in India, so you know, week four or five, I realized uh, that the, I started asking, I don't know how it came about, but I started asking the kids questions um, about their underwear and realized that many of them had zero pair and if they did have underwear they had one to two pair of underwear with like rips and holes and just rough um, underwear and, and just things like that that I didn't even realize you know they don't, they don't even have underwear and so I um, had some extra money raised um, from my fundraising and so I was able to buy most of them that needed them new, new pairs of underwear which again to them is like you know, giving them an iPod. People are like, oh, a pair of underwear. <laughs> you know, it's very, very easy 
uh, to excite them because they have such um, little amount of, of material things. Um, the sweet, precious kids, and what they do have is Jesus. These kids love Jesus. They are they are taught well about the Bible. I tried one every night we would have a Bible devotional, and I would teach them about the Lord, and we'd sing songs and tell you. They would sing, and I would listen. And, uh, and, and one night I did a Bible trivia with them, and I asked them, you know, not super easy questions, not like, you know, what did Noah build, but like, you know, where, where are the Beatitudes located in the Bible? And just, you know, semi-difficult questions like that, and they knew every single one easy, hands down. Matthew 5, you know, I mean, just, I mean they know the word because they're taught and trained, and they love Jesus. They pray, um, and when they pray, you know, they really pray. It's not just like, oh, yes, God, well, peace. You know, they pray, and they put their hearts into it, and they really believe that God is listening to them when they pray, and they're just wonderful, and um, taught me a lot about loving Jesus and a lot about um, living life. Um, so orphans were a big part of my saying, and if you go to the next one, um, Pastor Joseph is also, he kind of oversees probably, I don't know how many churches he has. I'm going to guess seven. And, uh, and so he just travels to these different churches and makes sure, you know, that they're okay. He'll preach at them. He'll take turns preaching at them. So we usually went to, um, had two to three church services every Sunday. And he would, on the way, we'd be on the way, and he'd say, Sister, today you preach. And he would announce to me on the way that I was preaching today. I'm like, Thank you, Joseph, for letting me know. <laughs> so I would speak at, at lots of these sweet churches. And, again, just they had a very sweet atmosphere, you know, sweet old ladies sitting on the floor and, um, really loving Jesus. They have nothing material-wise, but they have everything um, spiritually because they have Jesus. And so um, this is, it's kind of hard to tell what's happening here, but it's, it's our offering time, and uh, they you know, take up offering just like we do here in America, but the offering that they receive is slightly different. If um, the, occupa- the main occupation over in this section of India is fishing because they live on the Indian Ocean, and the fishermen are, are poor, and uh, the women don't typically work. And so um, if they do have offering, it's just a little bitty bit of money called a rupee. And, um, but many of the women, um, if they don't have a husband, they don't have any money. They just have food. And so they would, they would take up rice. Every church service, they would have a rice offering. And they would have a big, um, that's what this silver at the bottom here is, is a big metal pan. And then all of these little ladies come in with their um, small tins of rice. And then they, when it's time to take up the offering, they come and dump their rice. And, and give their tithe uh, to the church. And it's, it, it, it's really helpful because Pastor Joseph takes it home to the kids and uses it to feed um, the orphans. You know, it's, it's eight. They use it. Um, it's just very, you know, you don't see that a whole lot here in the U.S. People bring in their groceries for the tithe because that's all they have. But you see it a lot over there. Um, I just have two more to show you. Then you go to the next one. Um, I tried to do th- things with the kids that were unusual and just, really fun for them, and uh, so one of those things was, um, I took them to the beach twice, one, one time we had a beach party and just fed them lots of good food and ice cream, which is a, a rarity and very special, and um, they, don't, they live like half a mile from the beach, it's very close, but the kids, most of them don't know how to swim, so it's semi-dangerous to take them unless you have enough adults, so we would find lots of adults to go with us, and um, the kids were careful, you know, because they don't want to drown, so they would stay close to shore. Uh, but they just would light up when you take them to the beach. And they're just, you know, running and yelling, just having all kinds of fun. And uh, so this is just a, they were pulling on me at this point and yelling. So they call me sister, sister, sister. And uh, just very, very much liked um, the Indian Ocean. Uh, next up is um, uh, one of the church services we went to um, we, while we were sitting there. 
Indian, the, the, the culture, the custom in India isn't to be super planned and organized. And I'm not the most planned and organized person anyway, so it, but it's even more, even less planned and organized than I am. And so we were sitting at this church service, and, I, and me and Pastor Joseph were sitting kind of up front, and, um, and there, you know, everyone's sitting on the floor in front of us. And it's, I think it was during like, what we would call praise and worship, and they were singing songs. And Joseph said, and this mo- young mother comes in with a baby, and Pastor Joseph um, kind of gets my attention, and he says, Sister, today you name this baby. What? And I asked him several times to repeat to, to see what it was he was trying to say. This is, his English is pretty good, but not perfect by any means. And he, he sure enough, was asking me to come up with a name for this child. And I was just like, you want me to name this kid that I've never met? And he said, yes, yes, sister. Okay, let me think about it. And so I thought, and I just prayed, you know, God, help me pick a, a good name for this baby. And that's also pretty typical. If, if you're a Christian in India, you will... Um, have the pastor name your child, and, and you wait till your child's several months old uh, before they get a name. And so this kid, you know, I don't know how old she is, five months, and uh, it was time to name her. And so um, I decided that uh, a good name for her, and a good name, a name that God approved of, was uh, Mercy. And, I, and so I said to Joseph, can I name her Mercy? And he said, yes, yes. And that's a name that you'll hear um, fairly often for women in India. And so I named her Mercy, and they had like a little ceremony about announcing the name, and the mother liked the name, I think. And, um, and so I, after, you know, how, I didn't know that I was ever going to get to name an Indian child, so I just felt honored. And on the way home, Joseph told me that that baby was a, is the youngest of three daughters, and that the parents had had trouble feeding their children and had um, thought about selling one of their daughters in order to have uh, more money. And Joseph uh, told them and talked them out of it and said, no, 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 don't sell your child. I will give you money to help you pay um, for, for food every month. And so he told me that story, you know, which I, I didn't know anything about the family before. And I thought that it was a good thing that her name was Mercy because her whole life her parents were going to be saying that word and they were going to be calling her Mercy and, say, and say, saying that. And it's just my prayer that when they say it, that they think about God's mercy on them and he had mercy um, on their hearts and that mercy becomes a theme of their family, and that God turns stuff around. Okay, so after uh, six weeks in India, again, a wonderful, wonderful time. I wish I could talk to you about it for four hours, but I don't want you to fall asleep on me. Um, I uh, packed up, said tearful goodbye to the kids, um, very, a little bit sad, but very sweet, and uh, I flew to Thailand, which was, was part of the plan. India's uh, close to Thailand, but just a bay away. And last year, last fall, I was able to meet a missionary from Thailand named uh, Lana, um, who started a ministry over there kind of on her own. She lived over there for 10 years, a uh, sweet California girl, and she rescued kids out of um, just rough circumstances. Not all the same, but a lot of human trafficking. And she would give these kids a new home and, and raise them up to serve Jesus. And so I, I was able to spend time with her uh, last fall. I just fell in love with her. She was wonderful. And so I thought, since I'm so close, I just want to stop in Thailand for a few weeks to see um, anything I can do for her, you know, serving-wise, to help her ministry, and also just to learn from her. And uh, so that's what I did. And, yeah, so this is in Thailand. And uh, so I flew there. I think I arrived on August 21st. And um, my first instinct in Thailand was this is going to be awesome. The the airport had a subway, had all this food. I mean, I was hungry at this point because India food is, is rough. And there certainly aren't any subways anywhere I was at. Anywhere I was at. So I um, got to in, got to the airport, and I'm like, yes, I'm going to 
going to love Thailand. And there's lots of people speaking English, and I, I'm understood, and I just was really liking it. And uh, there was a, a team from my church that was going for four days um, just to kind of see what Lana's ministry was about and to see how our church could help her. And so we arrived on the same night. It was my pastor, it was um, Pastor Chad Everett, and three other women um, from my church. And so I was able to see them, and you know, it had been a couple months since I'd seen anyone uh, from America. So it was just really a nice uh, reunion. And so that we spent the first four days um, in Thailand. Lana took us to just pretty much the roughest places um, possible. And uh, if you'll go to the next one, um, this isn't the one I wanted to show you, but I'll talk about that in a second. Go to the next one. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this, this was in a place called The Dump. And it was one of the places she took us to, and it's what it says is, is the dump. But it's literally trash, miles and miles of trash piled up, sometimes taller than me. We had to buy boots just to go there to walk around because it was so filthy. And uh, they just the, many different communities take all their trash here and dump it. And what's really sad is that families um, have built homes here out of trash and live here and raise, raise their kids here. And so we went there in our, in our boots, you know, with our American iPads. And, and just walking around, it just made me sick to my stomach. Just thinking, this little iPad I have costs more than they're going to make all year. And, uh, you know, they, they live there going through the trash looking for recyclables. And if they find a recyclable, they go and sell it. And if they're lucky, they make a dollar a day from finding plastic trash on the ground. And, you know, the, so these babies, these kids are being raised here in this environment. So, we, you know, we took them fruit and we, um, you know, talked to them some about Jesus and were able to pray with some people. But mostly, you know, we just got our hearts broken and just tragic that people are living this way. So I, I learned very quickly in Thailand that that country was in as much need for Jesus as India, who is in as much need for Jesus as America. It doesn't matter what country you're in, that country needs Jesus. It's Jesus that's going to change stuff like this place, the dump. It's Jesus that's going to change orphanages. It's Jesus that's going to change hearts. Um, if you'll go back to that last slide, sorry to be jumping around. Um, the, the ministry that Lana started is called Life Impact International. And uh, this little boy, I was able to, to spend one day just with the children that she'd rescued, which was very refreshing because they're happy. You know, they're, they're totally different than the kids you would see on the street who are, who are just you know, begging for food and, and sad. And so, you know, we were just able to be around them and to see literally the, the change that God had brought to their lives. And this little boy, I think, I'm pretty sure his name was Jack, and um, he's, he's swimming in a pond where they were raising tilapia where, in order to be able to sell tilapia to support the ministry. And, uh, and so they were, the, all the, I was kind of like the babysitter for an afternoon and, and playing with the kids and teaching them games and they wanted to go swimming in this tilapia pond. And I said, yeah, sure, you know, whatever, it's hot out, it's Thailand. <laughs> so they went swimming in the tilapia pond, but I, you know, I didn't have a, any swimming attire packed. And so I, you know, I just had on my normal clothes. And, um, but one, they, so they were swimming and one of the boys said, I didn't have a towel or anything. One of the boys said, a sister, you, you swim? And I said, okay. Talk me into it. <laughs> so I jumped in the tilapia pond and went swimming, and it was filthy, but fun. And, and later, there's several missionaries who are living there in that area, probably eight American missionaries that are helping run this ministry. And one of the missionaries, that, well, they were all just shocked that I got in the tilapia pond. And one of them said, I, I walked by and said, oh, my gosh, there's a white girl in the fish pond. <laughs> and said it's just a really rare thing because it's so nasty and there's so many snakes, they informed me after. 
Oh, I'm glad I didn't know that before. <laughs> Disgusting. But um, anyway, it was just it was neat to be able to see firsthand what people um, who say yes to Jesus are able to do in the world. And that these eight missionaries, you know, just they left their families, they left their homes. I'm sure they had great comforts that they liked here in America that they said goodbye to, and moved to Thailand so that they could help kids, so that they could preach the gospel to Buddhists, and they could love people. And so it's just neat to be able to see what Jesus' love does when it, when it gets inside of somebody. And then at the same time, to see people in America who are working hard and then sharing their funds to support those missionaries. Because, you know, you have to have both. Um, it's just neat to be able to see both sides of, uh, of how God's kingdom works. Um, okay, so, so four days uh, in Thailand, and then I said goodbye to the team from my church because they were, they were going to fly out. And we, we were in a, a little city called Mesot, and it was in northern Thailand. And my friends from my church were flying out of Bangkok, Thailand, which is the capital, you know, big old city. And it was about six hours um, south of us. So I said bye to them. They left with Lana, the, the head missionary. And I spent the rest of the day with the other missionaries. And they just kind of showed me more around the area. We went to a marketplace and bought some neat things and um, and at the same time, I got my first lesson on how to drive a motorbike. And a motorbike is what they call, um, it's kind of like a cross, it, mo- it looks like a scooter, you know, if you see a, like a, just an American scooter, but it, it, run, it ran 70 miles per hour, so it's um, not exactly a scooter. And so it was a motorbike, and I had never driven anything on two wheels before, other than a pedal-it-yourself bicycle. And so I got a lesson from a young missionary named Jade, who's a 20-year-old California, another California girl, and she taught me, um, you know, how to, how to drive the motorbike. Show me, you know, the gas is here on the handlebar. And so we went to a private street where there wasn't much traffic. And I just was like, okay. So I just got on and, and started practicing um, driving the motorbike. And it was, you know, fairly easy to drive, especially going in a straight line. And I was awesome at driving in a straight line. <laughs> but you can't always drive in a straight line, unfortunately. There comes times to turn. And so I would drive to the end of the street and then would, like, have to do a little U-turn thing. So... Uh, the first time I, I tried to turn in a complete circle, I just stopped the bike and put my feet on the ground and started scooting my feet and moving the bike in a circle with my feet, like the Flintstones. And so my teacher, Jay, is like, no, that's not how you turn. You can't put your feet down in the, on the highway when you're trying to turn. And so she, you know, re-taught me how to turn the bike. And so I practiced a few more times. And, you know, she taught me about leaning. You know, you have to lean your body in order to get the bike to go turn how you want it to turn. And I, just, I still wasn't real comfortable with it, but I, I could do it okay. And so that was the end of my lesson. We continued um, gallivanting around the rest of the day. And that afternoon, about 3 o'clock, um, Jade said, well, do you feel comfortable enough to drive the motorbike out on the main road? And uh, I said, well, yeah, I think I do. But are there any turns? Because I didn't want to have to turn. <laughs> and she said, well, you're going to have to turn a couple times, but not too many. And I'll drive in front of you, so you just follow me. Because I didn't know where I was going. And she said, just stay close to me, and I think that you're going to do fine. And I was like, okay. And so we went out on the main road, and they drive on the left side of the road, and the traffic there is a little crazy, not at all like traffic here. And um, so I was following Jade, again, doing really, really good, driving in a straight line. And then it came time to make a left-hand turn, and the the turn was kind of like a a rail, like a guardrail, except that it's taller than American guardrails around um, turns. And it's metal, and again, tall. And so Jay turns left, 
And so I am supposed to be leaning left to get my motorbike to turn, but I didn't. I failed, and I just kind of went straight on and ran right into that um, metal railing. And it was going fast enough that it, it knocked me off the bike, and I kind of flew a little bit of a distance and landed headfirst into a uh, metal lamppost that was set up at the end of that railing. And so I was knocked unconscious, lots of bleeding, lots of broken, um, fractured, fractured bones in my skull. And uh, so an ambulance came, you know, lots of people came around me trying to get my helmet off and uh, were, um, took me to the nearest hospital. And, you know, I wasn't breathing real great on my own, and it was just rough and raspy. And uh, at that hospital, um, they, I, I didn't get the treatment that I was supposed to be getting. They just weren't equipped to handle um, a, a head injury. And so Lana, at this point, so my, my friends from my church are getting ready to fly out of the country, and they're, they're called and notified of what just happened. So, you know, it's like kind of a life or death situation. I'm not doing very good. And, um, and so my pastor canceled his flight and got in a taxi and started heading towards me. And the, the rest of the ladies decided that they would go ahead and leave. And so the, the missionary Lana starts calling doctors and nurses in Thailand to find out what to do with me. And they all said, get her out of that hospital and get her to Bangkok Hospital, which again was six hours south, because they um, are a great hospital to who can handle a, a head injury like this. And so after four hours in that hospital in northern Thailand, I got on an ambulance and, uh, and came down uh, to Bangkok. And, you know, I had lots of tests ran on me, and my brain was swollen and it was bleeding. And, um, my, I knocked my two front teeth out, and one of them went through my bottom lip, so it was just had a good-sized hole in it, and again, was bleeding a lot. This uh, here was cut to my bone, and this bone was fractured in several places, along with other bones. And um, so just, you know, by the appearance of things, I wasn't doing real great. And um, my parents were called shortly after and informed of what was going on, and within that same day, they booked a flight to come to Thailand. Uh, to see what they could do to help take care of me and to pray for me. And um, they didn't, if, if they, if I've heard people since I've been home, I've heard people ask them, well, weren't you worried? Didn't you, weren't you thinking that maybe she wasn't going to be okay? And my parents, usually they just respond, no, we really weren't worried because we knew that she was going to be okay. We knew that it wasn't time for her to die and that God was going to take care of her. And then really they just, they have a lot of faith and they knew that I was going to be all right. And so they went and sat by my bed by my unconscious body um, until I woke up, and, uh, and hallelujah, I woke up. I, after being asleep for five days, if you want to go to the next slide, it's not a real um, beauty, but it's kind of what I was looking like before I got stitched up. And um, I, uh, you know, I was on life support. I wasn't breathing on my own and a feeding tube and all that jazz, and I had a lot of stuff down my throat. But after five days again, I woke up. And, uh, and it was, you know, I was confused, and I, I stayed confused, a little bit confused for a while, but it was, it was clear that I, you know, there weren't any significant injuries to my brain. I knew who my parents were. I, I couldn't speak because all the tubes, I, I wrote notes. I knew how to read. I knew how to write. You know, I was, my brain had been protected uh, by God. God had protected me. And so, um, and then from then on, after that five days, the, the progress was just really super fast. Every day, I just got a lot better. And um, after uh, I was in ICU, I think I haven't written down, so I forget. I think 12 days or 11 days, no, 12. <laughs> and uh, on life support for 11 days, in ICU for 12 days, and then I went to the regu a regular hospital room for a few days after that. So total, I was in the hospital for 17 days. And then the doctor said, you know, she's doing great, 
and uh, she can be released from the hospital. And um, so I was able to fly home uh, a few days after that. And, uh, and you know, just a, a testimony to what God is capable of and that he is capable of taking care of his children and uh, he's, he's capable of fixing injuries and, and fixing, um, you know, hurt brains. And uh, that he loves us and he wants the best things for us. You know, some pe- people have different theories about, you know, good and evil and, and how God relates and ties into all that. And I'm just, I'm absolutely convinced that, that no evil and no bad is ever caused by God. God is good and he only does good things. And so this, you know, this wreck wasn't caused by God. It was caused mostly by my own stupidity. And, um, but God uses it. He uses trouble. He uses bad things. He doesn't cause them, but he uses them to bring good out of us and to make good things happen. And that's what he's done w- with this. And uh, if you'll, I don't like looking at that. I'm sure you don't either. If you'll go to the next one, just has a scripture um, that is absolutely true. And it's, it's Jesus that's talking. And uh, in John 10, 10, he says that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And I just feel like that was a, um, a picture of, that was very much true in my life during those few months, that the devil came to kill me and destroy me, to steal me away. But Jesus, he trumped the enemy, and he came to give me life and life to its fullest. And, and just also to know that I'm serving such a God who answers prayers, that his, that his ears are extended to us, and he's listening, and he moves on our behalf. And, you know, there were literally people from all over the world praying. You know, people here were praying. My, all of my orphan friends in India were praying. They were, they were notified about what had happened, and, they, and I had video of them on their knees praying for me, praying that Jesus would raise me up and would wake me up and would heal me. And so all of those prayers that were raised, you know, they moved God to action, and he, he protected me and he blessed me. Um, and I just want to share one uh, more quick story out of this, that after... Uh, right after the wreck, and I was taken to the hospital in, in northern Thailand that couldn't take care of me. I, I, and I, I don't, let me just also say this. I don't remember anything for about two weeks. I didn't, um, I don't remember about ten, ten minutes up until the wreck. And I, then I don't remember two weeks after the wreck because of what was happening in my brain. And so what I'm telling you <laughs> is reports I received from other people. <laughs> but, but they're, they're you know, accurate and true. Um, and so what people have told me is that because there were several missionaries there, they all came to the hospital to help take care of me in, May, in northern Thailand, Maysot. And after um, an hour after my wreck, I kind of, um, I don't know if you'd say I gained consciousness or I just, I kind of came to, anyway, whatever I did, I opened my eyes. And for the first time I, for the first time I opened my eyes and for the first time I started speaking. And I said, and I just said one word over and over and over. And I said, Jesus. Jesus, 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 and I was crying, and they said I was I was being kind of loud because um, I was shaken, and I just kept saying Jesus, 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 and they they tried getting my attention and saying Abby, Abby, to get me to talk to him, but I wasn't really aware of what was happening around me. I think I, I I think I probably just knew that I was in pain, I was in trouble, and I needed Jesus. And um, after saying his name several times, I went back to sleep and you know, stayed asleep for five more days, and um. After I, you know, I got back to the U.S. Um, on September 13th. Is that it? I'm not going to have to hear from that. Yeah, September 13th. And it was, you know, it was a very blessed, um, way easier than usual recovery, but still some difficulties. Um, you know, kind of relearning some things and 
just kind of, and then I kind of went through a stage of just feeling really down on myself. You know, it's my, why did I get on the stupid motorcycle? You know, why did, why did I do this? Why did I do that? And just feeling real discouraged. And while I was having this little discouraged um, season, I was at my church on a Sunday and um, was singing. It was during song time. And, and I just felt like um, Jesus reminded me of something. And he reminded me of how whenever I was in the hospital and I, and I woke up, that I called on him and I called his name and I said, Jesus, Jesus. And I felt like Jesus um, spoke to my heart and then he said, when you were calling my name, I was also calling your name. And so here I was, you know, discouraged, little feeling sorry for myself back in America. And the Son of God tells me that whenever I was a bloodied up, broken mess in a hospital room, that he was calling my name because he was caring about me and he was concerned about my well-being and he was concerned about my body. And so I was, you know, just such... And encouragement doesn't even describe it, that, that God would care about me like that. And that when I call on his name, he calls on mine. And it's, you know, it's not just me, it's every one of us, that all of us, when we call on the Lord's name, it's not just us calling on him. He also knows our name, and he says our name and calls our name too, which, um, you know, is, again, is beyond an encouragement. And I'm just going to share one more scripture with you. Um, that's Psalm 116, 3 through 6, and I just think it kind of describes what I just shared with you. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, Matthew twenty-four fourteen. Uh, Jesus says that the gospel will be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. So before the end comes, that means we have a responsibility, and that's to make sure that that happens, that the gospel is preached to all the nations. You know, I, India is, I don't know the statistics, but it's over 80%, you know, but it's 93 or whatever percent um, Hindu. You know, they believe in lots and lots and lots of gods. And uh, in Thailand is primarily Buddhist. And those are just two examples of, you know, of those countries. But there's lots and lots and lots of places that they just don't, they don't, they can't believe in Jesus because they don't know about Jesus. You know, we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb like someone sang tonight. But many people have not been washed in the blood of the Lamb because they don't know about the blood of the Lamb. And it's us as sanctified, redeemed people, children of God. It's our job to make sure that they know that they can be washed in the blood of the Lamb and that there is a gospel story, and it's our job to tell them. Because if we don't, you know, who's going to? It's the, it's the Christian's job to make sure that the gospel is preached to all the nations so that then the end can come. And, you know, we want the end to come. We want Jesus to come. But we want people to be ready when he does come. So thank you guys again for having me here tonight. Thank you for all your help, all your uh, love and support that you've shown to, to missions and the gospel. I appreciate it very much. Thank you.